0: Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast, your weekly roundup of the best of Bailiwick Sport. I'm Tony Kerr and alongside me is Guernsey Press Sport Editor, Gareth the Prevo. Hi Tony. And the fastest man in the sports department, <laughs> Jamie Ingle. Hi Tony. Good to see you. I couldn't say fastest man in the newsroom because... Mike Batty. I might, uh, might. Uh, <laughs> just edge <edging laughs> on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're getting much competition from me and Gareth, that's for sure, on, on that
1: <laughs> No, it's not the biggest boast to say you're the quickest in the sports department, to
0: be honest. Um, coming up this week, we've got a full interview with guernsey's new director of cricket a very familiar face of course in jeremy frith um gareth and i sat down with him to find out what his new role entails how big a job he thinks he's taken on and what his priorities
1: are Um, but let's start with our moments of the week i'll come to you first gareth definitely cricket tony (laughs) so alistair cook's visit on tuesday but particularly the fact that he roasted you during your question and answer session um at the farmhouse it was a very good evening to be fair it was it was a fundraiser for the for the Guernsey Swarting Dinner Club and Guernsey Cricket. But um, when you revealed to Sir Alistair Cook that you were actually two years younger than him, his face was an absolute picture. (laughs) Alistair Cook still looks mid-twenties. He still looks exactly the same as he always did. And then to find out that you're younger just really <laughs> it threw him off his stride. And I think it's, he looked disgusted. He just he just went, jeez. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the whole crowd fell about laughing once yeah. he reacted to that. But uh, that was definitely the highlight of my week. He's but, got a very good head of hair still, Alistair. Yeah, sure. yeah, and um, he's he's still very lean and obviously keeping himself trim. Over, he's still um, playing professionally as well. So, uh, but he was he was, uh, he was a really good guest, I thought, for that um, and a very very. Uh, Intriguing but also humorous um, speaker so it was a really good night but um, yeah highlight of the week for, on, a, on a sporting field uh, I'd have to go for uh, the Guernsey Raiders comeback against Worthing Raiders last week um, when they were 26-3 behind after half an hour not many people would have given them much hope against a, a top four side um, but it was a it was just a terrific performance after that for the last sort of 50 minutes of the game they, they thoroughly deserved it they ended up winning 36-31. Um, vitally, they scored a try just before half time, which really sort of swung the momentum. And it was almost it was almost a case once they scored that try and ran down the tunnel, you could see a purpose even just in them going down the tunnel. And they they had the wind at their backs in the second half, which obviously was going to help. Um, but it just it sort of just emphasised the whole game emphasised at that, that level how you have to be spot on with your execution. Raiders weren't that bad for the first half hour, but they made a couple of silly mistakes, you know, just one errant pass here and there. And all of a sudden they've, they've conceded four tries within half an hour. Um, as I said to Jordan after the game, Jordan Reynolds, I said, um, it's amazing what happens when you can't out those mistakes, isn't it? And he just laughed and he was, uh, he was very proud of their performance and how they... Um, came out in the second half and once they got momentum behind them they, they they to be honest throughout most of the second half they looked like they were going to win even though it took them you know the time it required to get back and get an, an edge ahead but um, it was a, a really outstanding second half and uh, it was great the, the garen stan crowd just thoroughly enjoyed it and sort of when the last try was scored by ethan smith the, everyone was jumping up and down it was just it was just a great sort of moment to be part of and uh, Hopefully it just, um, it kicks them on for the rest of the season. Uh, Typically, um, last week it was the last of the top five sides they were playing. And now tomorrow, sorry, on Saturday, they'll be playing second place Dorking after they won last week and rose about six places. So, uh, Guernsey don't seem to have much of a break in terms of playing sort of uh, easier sides. But, uh, yeah, like I say, at this level, the competition is very tough and... um, it was a it was a good win and hopefully they can follow it up in the next week or so.
0: Yeah, it sounded like an incredible atmosphere down there. I'm gutted to miss it and as if I didn't feel old enough. Um, after Alistair Cook's <laughs> comment um, the other night it, I was making my Vets debut uh, for Indies at College Field on Saturday afternoon so uh, yeah well and truly in the uh, the veterans category now That
1: was quite brief as well wasn't it? <laughs> yeah less said <laughs> about that the came better on as a sub and then got substituted yourself? Or? Well I think it was tactical, <laughs> right, it was okay. tactical. That's
0: um, what you've been told But it sounded like uh, quite an incredible match I mean you mentioned Jordan Reynolds there let's hear what you had to say at full time
2: You know before the game we said if we can be within 15 points um, we'll give ourselves a chance we were within 16 and everyone had belief that we could do it uh, we thought defensively we were really good today so we we could take that encouragement into the second half and we just had to start winning our set piece you know i mean we lost all our lineouts in the first 30 minutes that didn't that didn't help uh, uh a lot of the time but you know as louis just said in the huddle there it took really a really strong courage to come against uh, a side like Worthing and to come back from a, such a deficit and i think that's the difference of this team at the moment is like you know i mean It's that belief factor, right? And I think hopefully today that takes us a long step forward in believing that we can actually do this.
1: And how important was that try just before half time as well to to get, like you say, to get within 16 rather than 23?
2: I think you would have sent a different team out here in the second half. Um, We probably would have been, you know, we 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 would have stuck at it because we don't give up. But it would have been a lot to claw back. And, you know, the the difference of the team meeting that we had at halftime changed off the back of that try because one of them was going to be probably voicing all the the negatives that we did, and the secondary one was like, actually, we're doing this well. Let's just go and do this, Uh, which which was really good for us. And then in the second half, our set piece just came forward and i know we got a couple of mauls taken down i mean well I'll, I'll have to have a word to the referee how how a guy can get down the side and onto your maul but look it didn't it didn't flutter us you know what i mean we stuck at task we used our scrum to give us the base and um you know and we did well and you know credit to our forward pack today who who i thought you know one to i might say one to eight what is it well, how many do we use i didn't use um hugo so it would be 1 uh, at 10. ten so 1 to 10 did really well for us today, which was fantastic. And, um, you know, we, we fronted up physically, which was good.
1: Yeah. And it does show, that once you start building momentum to, to get points out of it, I mean, you scored sort of three tries in the space of pretty much 10, 15 minutes. So yeah.
2: Can... And, and, and that's the hardest thing is wrestling momentum. Like, you know, we, we have parts of where, you know, when the ball goes to halfway, that's where you can wrestle momentum, so use four phases if you don't get the momentum, we can kick it back and put pressure on them, but we weren't doing that in the first half, we were only going to two, so the problem was that, we were giving them ball back and then they were just coming back at us, and, and the issue with that is we just weren't getting um, momentum through our carrying game, so when we went in at half time, we were like, well of course you're not carrying, because you're only carrying twice, and then we're kicking the ball away, so let's try to get to four, five, and then you can see in the second half, we're we'll starting to make that half gap, that half gap, that's tiring them out because if we're kicking to them and they're on the tackle all the time, we're not tiring them out. And, and you, we've got to exhaust um, these teams to bring them down to our level. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, like you say, I mean, sort of your 10 forwards that were used were outstanding. Is there anyone in particular you'd point out today? Mm.
2: Yeah, like, um, to be fair, I thought, you know, we, we keep saying the same bloody names, but <laughs> I thought Doug was really good today. I thought... Um, you know, I thought Doug was good last week, but I thought that was his best game uh, today for sure. Dom again for me was was really good. And, um, you know, Steves and Pink's, I thought they were they were class today, you know, especially around scrummaging at tight head for, for both of them today. But around the park, they were excellent. Um, you know, if you could probably split my player of the day, but be between the two pigs. <laughs>
1: But it's good to see your your bench having that impact as well. I mean, Dan Morgan had a good game when he came on as well. Yeah,
2: and like, you know, obviously Ray just was a bit slightly off with the lineouts and then he took the split to his head. So for Dan Morgan to come on and that's probably boosted his confidence. I think he hit 100% on on his lineouts. And, you know, I thought when uh, Tarbo came on, uh, he did really well. You know, he he hit a good one. The thing with Tarbo is he is a good player. You know, when he was playing for us, um, when he's been playing for us all year, you know, he's picking up points and he's, you know, he's doing this. He's, He's a consistent performer around the park and that. He's just learning the the death arts of uh, scrummaging and and mauling at the moment, but he's improving every week. And, you know, once again, I think that's a confidence booster for him this week as well.
1: Yeah. And how important. I mentioned before this game how often you've played top five sides. You now play everyone in the top five. Yeah. How important is it to get that win to take in against more middle table sides? Yeah,
2: exactly. And and, and for anything, because it's not how we play. That's. The issue of how we play isn't, isn't why we're losing games. It's, it's in here. It's the top two inches that we're missing it. Um, and that's something, we, we, you know, we've got to work on. We've got a lot of young guys. You know, the difference between Louie and Brad is huge. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, they could, so, You know, um, so there's a big difference in there, and it's about getting those learnings in. But, yeah, to beat, to beat one of these top sides, for, for anything for us, it's a confidence booster. Like I said, you know, I set up in the thing, and I said this week, we haven't trained well for, for two weeks, and you could see there was frustration, and, and we're low. And I know why exactly that is, because we're losing by small margins. Like, if we lost today by that small margin, I think that would have broke the camel's back. Because... It's easier to lose by 40 and say everything's wrong than lose by a small margin and taste that like five times. And we've done that, you know what I mean? So I I can see the frustration with the boys, and I know exactly why. But for them to turn around and and pull that performance out today, fair play to them. And, you know, we've we've got a bloody long injury list, and we've just got another two guys on that injury list. Owen looks like he's done his hamstring as well. So... You know, uh, we're eating into that. But now we've got Dorking coming up and Sevenoaks. And we've got to be looking at those as, as two wins for us because uh, that could change our season.
0: Jordan Reynolds speaking to you there, Gareth. I mean, you've obviously seen a lot of Guernsey Raiders in recent years. Where does this rank, do you think, in terms of National 2 performances or National
1: 2 victories, I guess? Um Victories, it has to be right up there with one of their best. They, to be fair, in their National 2 sort of time, they they spent one season out of it as well. Um, there were some really good sort of performances where they didn't win, funnily enough, and where they had a lot of people out, certainly in the first uh, year they were in National 2, um, and they fought really hard and they had some good wins towards the back end of that season. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough to keep them up at that point. But they now sort of look like they, they should belong at that level. So like I say, those silly mistakes have cost them a bit in the last couple of weeks. But um, yeah, in terms of uh, performance, certainly there was a the period for basically quarter of an hour in the second half where they scored three tries in, in 11 minutes, I think it was. And um, they they looked um, just as good as anything probably we've seen at that level at Foots Lane. To be honest, uh, it's just a case of trying to put it together for eighty minutes.
0: Yeah, and they're climbing the table, aren't they? Up to ninth, and they're the second top point scorers in the division. Mm. Um, so things are obviously clicking. Certainly going in the right direction, as you say before. Though it's just the errors that perhaps. It's, yeah, got it's. Back. I
1: mean, it, it, speaking to Jordan, sort of. I've, I've spoken to him this week, and um, it they watch when they rewatch re the footage they're actually doing a lot of good stuff and yet those it's pretty much minor errors which at any level below where we're at they wouldn't be quite as costly they might have sort of cost a couple of tries but now if you make a mistake you're basically being you're you're made to pay for it instantly it's not even a case of um, the opposition working through phases or whatever they basically pick up the ball gone and it's sort of seven points straight away Um, I think Raiders are learning that one pretty the hard way, I suppose, this season, but their defence is getting better. Um, The mistakes are really coming on offence, you know, sort of like losing a ball in a tackle and within sort of 10 seconds, the opposition have gone 50 yards and scored. Um, So it is just a case of they they know that those mistakes are costly. Um, but general play, I think they're looking pretty good. As you say, they're away this weekend at Dorking, back at Foots Lane on the 12th of November
0: against Seven Oaks. Um So let's hope the atmosphere is as good then and the result is as good then as it was on
3: Saturday. Uh, Jamie, what's your pick of the week? Oh, um, unquestionably, it will be the return of boxing to Sir John Loveridge Hall on Saturday. Um, ultimately, it's a match between Guernsey and the RAF and you would look at the scoreline. The RAF won... 8 out of the 11 contests. And you might think, on the face of it, that seems quite one-sided. But I would say, genuinely, that almost all of those contests could have gone either way. Um, So we had a rare bill-topping opportunity for Tommy Tears, who... (laughs) Initially, he was sort of due to play second fiddle to Casey Delamere, but Casey failed to make weight, unfortunately, so they had to scrub his bout from the bill. So uh, yeah, we had a very well contested bout between Tommy and Josh Millington. It went in the visitors' favour on this occasion. But yeah, kudos to the three Guernsey fighters who did manage to get victories. That, w- that was Scott Little, who got bouts for the night's. Roslyn Godgekaks and Cam hards all really good contests.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like Scott Little, who of course um <laughs> used to coach gymnastics and sounds like he's mm. put a lot of time
3: and effort into boxing in recent um, weeks and months. Um,
0: yeah, it sounds like he's got some big ambitions as
3: well. Yeah, I mean, he's speaking about going to the Commonwealths, and I mean, why not? He's had a fantastic start to his career. Um, he's looking at sort of getting onto the national stage next season, and yeah, from there, it'll be nice to see how he goes. I enjoyed some of the commentary
0: uh, comments on Facebook. We put your report up from the uh, the Open Show on Saturday. Variously, I think Scott Little was described as the Geordie Nassim, <laughs> <laughs> also compared to Sugar Ray Leonard as a sport. People boxers sort of get behind their fellow boxers, mm. I think. There's a lot of support, which is fantastic <laughs> to see. It's a great community. But um mm. yeah, it's just awesome that um, you know, with, with Billy LePulan, with Tom Tears who we spoke to a- ahead of the open shows, um, got his own Commonwealth ambitions. If you throw Scott Little into the mix as well, there's there's a-, a lot of people pushing each other on there.
3: I think it's also worth mentioning that the uh bout of a night was actually chosen by our guest of honour, uh Lieutenant General Richard Cripwell. Um I had the <laughs> pleasure of sharing a table with him uh, Very nice guy. He's got his own background in boxing. And yeah, it's fantastic to see him Scott, recogni- Scott get recognition from him of all people. Hey, with the VIPs were you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Jamie gets treated, we never get invited. <laughs> to, uh, to be fair
1: our last permanent governor had actually sort of obviously hot-footed from Beaujol, um, to Boisejol from um, Foots Lane because he was at the rugby as well and uh, he, he he was uh, almost perhaps not quite in disguise but he was uh, sort of hat on, very sort of quietly snuck in, sat in the corner and somebody recognised him said oh, oh you're here as well. And uh, I think he was jumping up and down with the rest of us when uh, Guernsey scored their winning try so he obviously had a very enjoyable Saturday, sport-wise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he seems to be
0: uh, a massive sports fan. It's great to see him getting out about and, and seeing uh, a lot of local sport. Um, right, I think that's just about it for for part one. I'm coming next. We'll talk cricket. Welcome back. If you're not already, do hit follow or subscribe to the show wherever you're listening. That way, these pods will land in your lap as soon as they're published. Um, Right, it's fair to say it has been a challenging few years for Guernsey cricket. We've seen a few different island coaches come and go under a few different titles and combinations. That, of course, has coincided with Guernsey dropping out of the ICC's 50-over structure. While across the water, Jersey have gone from strength to strength time for mr cricket perhaps to step in jeremy frith topped our list of the island's greatest ever players last year and after some time away from the national squad setup he's now back involved as guernsey's new director of cricket gareth and i caught up with him to find out what the role is what his targets are and how he plans to get there frithy welcome to the pod Thank you, Tony. Great to see you. Um, congratulations on the new role. You've obviously got uh, you know a, a kind of rich history with with local cricket. Why now, though, to uh, kind of come into this kind of coaching director of cricket position? Uh,
4: partly because I got asked. <laughs> 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 um, I suppose you know the last few years I've been going back and forth to England, playing Premier League cricket over there personal circumstances around that you know Ida's a little bit older so am i (laughs) my body doesn't quite work as well as it should um and obviously then the opportunity of um being able to help out guernsey cricket a little bit um sort of made sense and probably stars aligned in that way
0: so have you been approached before
4: not really you know i don't get approached that much about (laughs) very much at all um no, so this is the first conversation we've we've had. We had a conversation earlier in the year, which was about to see if I could help out with some of the bowlers. But again, my time was to, so tight with going back and forth to England every weekend and cricket over there. So
0: yeah, I did what I could, but yeah, it was never going to be too much. Did you have any hesitation in taking it on?
4: Yeah, I, I sp Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, it was really trying to understand what what's required because you know I've still got a full time job. Um, as it turns out um, <laughs> um, uh, so it was really trying to understand what's needed what's going on because I spoke uh, partly deliberately because of my role with the sports commission I've tried to keep my distance and, and, and you know and it, I think in that role it's important we try and stay impartial um, and, and and not get too deep into one sport I think over the period of time with that work we've done we've, we've worked a lot more closely with sports so From a from a work point of view, it was it was easier for me to get involved with with Guernsey cricket, but it was you know I've I've kept my distance on that front, um, but obviously not so distant that I don't talk to people and know what's going on. And um, I think from the point of view where I'm at, it's is there was still I suppose a lack of familiarity that was really helpful, but it wasn't completely unfamiliar either. So from my point of view it's it's really trying to understand what was needed what's going on who's where what people's motivations are what what the landscape is um in a bit more detail to to actually understand if i had the time and was in the best place to actually help and do something that could could actually make a difference
0: yeah i should probably ask you actually just kind of to outline what the role is and, and how you see it kind of functioning because over the last few years we've seen a sort of a few different titles banded around um we've had a few people in different posts sort of a bit more coaching a bit more managerial um Mm -hmm. directors of cricket you are director of cricket what does that mean
4: uh so essentially i'm running training on a thursday night and organizing fixtures and running some games (laughs) uh, in simplistic terms plus (laughs) sitting down with lee and ben every now and then for a cup of coffee and helping them you know run the business so it's it's you know, I think first and foremost, the full-time staff are very capable um, of running cricket. You know, certainly operationally, there's, there's no issues with that. So it's I've got to stay out of their way and let them get on and do that. Um, however, obviously, the director piece is about directing and making sure the direction of that work is actually aligned with the direction of of travel the board want to go, um, and it all joins up with the players and and I suppose the wider. Um, piece of the island really Um, and then obviously the head coach piece of the senior side is pretty straightforward as I said hopefully it'll be training on a Thursday night and somewhere between 10 and 20 odd days of cricket to turn up and coach which is the bit I'm really looking forward to
1: I was going to ask you, Frithy, um, with very specifically your sort of men's national coach hat on, um, you probably have a sort of like to-do list. What would you say is right at the top of that list at the moment? Uh, training and a fixture list, <laughs> quite <laughs> well, simply. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we sort of mentioned just, just off air about sort of like ICC competitions. We're never exactly quite sure what's going on when until quite quite near the mm-hmm. time. So what will you look to sort of implement?
4: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I've, I've been in around... The ICC and the Guernsey cricket piece since since we first went in in two thousand six two thousand seven and I think ICC has changed hugely. Obviously, Guernsey cricket's changed over a period of time. Um, the ICC, I think, has been a hugely positive thing for the island, but it is a little bit of a thrashing beast beast of an organisation in that you can go from not a lot of competition in one year or zero through to, if you look at what Jersey are now, which are multiple comp- competitions over an 18 month, two year period, which, you know, suddenly takes a huge amount of resource and time. So strategically you have to be aware that all those things are possibilities, um, but equally there needs to be a diet of cricket that is your foundation of cricket really. And, and from my point of view, the ICC is is the cherry on top the cake. Um, that if if you if you've got stuff happening there, that's great. But actually, w- we need a sustainable um, kind of program of cricket that that supports that, particularly at the age groups, but also also with the seniors. I mean, the point being, we are a small nation within the ICC in terms of numbers. If we take fifteen players out of our domestic program at any one point of time that really heavily impacts our domestic programme and probably causes some fixtures not to be played. Whereas if you're a Germany, a a Sweden, a Finland, and you've literally got millions but thousands or high hundreds of people playing domestic cricket, you take 15 people out, it all still happens. So there is that tension that the island has to manage, but that's not uncommon to any of the other sports on the island.
1: Mm. And so just from sort of like your initial chats with probably Josh um, you know, as captain, whatever, do you get a, a feeling of how sort of almost like morale is within the national squad? I mean, they they had, they had a tough summer in that they had that one ICC tournament where they needed to win to get to the next thing. Mm. They they lost as. You can, as can happen in T Twenty, has been shown in the World Cup, that you lose one game to one one individual performance, and you sort of miss out on a lot from that. Did, how, how do you get the sort of like the the feeling of morale in that squad at the moment?
4: I think, yeah, I mean, I haven't spoken to all the squad mm-hmm. is the first thing. Yeah, um, but I mean, the conversations I've had with. um Josh and one or two players that I've sort of seen incidentally is there's is a sense of optimism and something having something to look forward to. Um, I'm very conscious of not wanting to kind of start talking about all sorts of ideas and things we want to do until we've actually done something mm. and we've actually got stuff that's concrete and it's happening because I think part of the challenge with cricket particularly the northern hemisphere it's a long winter and we spend less time playing and then there's a danger you fill the time with just talking about stuff whereas actually the emphasis needs to be on getting stuff done and doing it and letting that do the talking rather than me putting endless sound sound bites talking all sorts of stuff about cricket <laughs> which I can as you have done for yeah years. which I can do all day and all that, really. but, um, people will get bored out after
0: that
1: <laughs> after a while
0: <laughs> staying with the kind of men's national team stuff there's going to be a bit of a change of, of kind of procedure in terms of selection a sort of new committee how's that going to work
4: yeah I mean I suppose I'm really conscious that it is a small island as, as we all know um, and it's very interconnected and in relationships are you know double and triply e important. Um, here um, and actually all the power and decision making lying in one place I don't think is particularly healthy um, you know if you look back at the Ashes on a, on an international level you know the whole thing with Chris Silverwood and, and being chairman of selectors and head coach and, and all of that you know I think the consensus was that that didn't work as well as it, it might have done or probably was Maybe the design of that wasn't necessarily fit for purpose, really. So, I think distributed responsibility and accountability is a good thing in the island. The idea is really we have a chairman of selectors um, with a panel of five that would also include myself and Josh, and then two other wise owl type characters that can kind of complement that. And that's really to to ensure, from the players' point of view, that. You know, if they feel a relationship with a certain individual isn't as positive as they would like, that there's four or five other people that have got a view in that. There's a number of people they can talk to, but actually the people out there can get out and watch some cricket, know cricket um, and can improve each other's thinking as, as we work through different parts of the year.
1: How much do you imagine, um, how much do you expect perhaps to be introducing what looks like a very exciting group of players from what's described as our under 19s? are actually pretty much under 17s at the moment, mm. but they did very well in the summer. I mean, are you looking to integrate them quickly, or would you rather leave them perhaps at the under 19 level for a while? As part of that unfamiliarity
4: bit, because I actually <laughs> haven't seen a lot of them play really. So, I th- as I said, I think I'm one step ahead of someone turning up here who's never been here or, or worked here, but actually in a very healthy way, from my point of view, there's still actually quite a lot to learn and take on board within within that first year. So, as I said, for me, it's about providing as much cricket and training opportunities for me to kind of assess that over the next 12 months as to where everyone's at, get to know everyone properly and, and have those conversations um, before forming too much, a, too much of a view. Mm-hmm.
1: And how much do you think your experience as a Guernsey player, certainly in ICC, obviously you're sort of like, you are a number one player judging by the Guernsey Press series last summer. But... um, During your time as a player, the Guernsey team were very successful and they also, I mean, from my point of view, I was was around them a lot because I got to go on sort of trips to see Malaysia successes and Singapore, but the unity there was very obvious and it was a Mm. proper island squad and everyone got on really well. I mean, Mm. those sort of experiences and when you look back, I'm sure with sort of great memories there. Do, is that something you can sort of like perhaps introduce or try and sort of implement now into into the current squad?
4: Yeah,
1: I mean, there's, I suppose there's a
4: danger of trying to recreate my experience of what hmm. playing cricket was for Guernsey and and, and and the experience that people do have and want to have has to be owned by that group of players. Um I suppose, individually. I mean, it's not unhelpful, I don't think. Um, I certainly don't want to be going around telling too many war stories of when I played and doing all that, because I don't think that's helpful. Um, but I think certainly understanding tournaments, understanding how, um, as we said, the, the landscape can change pretty quickly because you win one tournament and suddenly you got another one and another one. Um, I suppose the understanding of having been an 18 year old playing some sort of representative cricket through to actually being a 35, 36 year old with a job and a family is a, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, and working within an amateur context of balancing kind of on one hand performance, international competition Mm -hmm. with helping people with an allocation of time off work to actually do their day jobs and remain happy, healthy and well. So I suppose I've got a level of empathy for the players. Um, but actually you know i think that's for josh and for the players to really own the type of experience they they want or our, my job is to provide it create uh, guide it shape it really um but yeah I don't think Stu and I sat there telling more stories about our own experience of back in the
0: day is going to help in that much. <laughs> Perhaps not the on-pitch experience, is <laughs>
1: <laughs> it? What about the,
0: um, the, you know, the kind of cricket that we play now? Obviously, when you were um, kind of banging big runs for Guernsey, it was in sort of 50 over ICC competitions. The emphasis obviously now is very much more on T20. Is that something you feel confident kind of heading into? Yeah, I mean, again, it's probably the nature of,
4: Um, what ICC membership and involvement looks like is because it is such a thrashing beast, suddenly it's T20 cricket on mats that that suddenly means all of our cricket suddenly becomes that and our sole aim is competing and winning games of international cricket. It is one of our aims. However, I'd also kind of want to suggest that actually producing players to play test match cricket for England Mm. and being part of the county pathway and and the UK pathway is also one of our aims because I think we'd all be as equally excited seeing an England player walk out at Lords as we will see Mayor Letizio playing for England hopefully in the Lionesses that's going to be equally as excited as seeing a Guernsey team succeed so um, our responsibility is of course to putting Guernsey teams into ICC competitions and performing and improving our global ranking. But actually, we want to produce some really good cricketers as well that have a broad set of skills. They're flexible. um, And, you know, for individuals, we're helping them on their individual pathway with cricket as to whatever that wants, they want to achieve with that. And, you know, it's not all about the Guernsey senior squad. You know, we've got people who enjoy cricket for a variety of reasons um, who may not want to go... On that pathway and actually cricket needs to provide the experience that they want in a in a much more holistic way than a narrow kind of angle of performance around t20 cricket so from my point of view it's providing that much broader richer diet of cricket which allows for focus on individual tournaments at any one time but as you've sort of said i mean even over a 10 12 year period ICC cricket in terms of the focus of the competition has changed and shifted in various directions at any one time um, so I think we need to be aware of that and kind of decide what we want to provide and then see that as, a, as something that goes on top of it
0: Yeah just in terms of that kind of county England test sort of pathway if you like we've had you know a few players over the years who've kind of got their foot in the door they've, mm-hmm. they've established themselves but for whatever reason haven't stuck mm-hmm. uh, stuck around is that something that you'll look to kind of try and make a dent on in in terms of you know when those talents do come along it's how do you kind of give them the best chance of actually succeeding long term
4: yeah I mean look, it's it's something in all the time I've been here is to you know if I look at the Isle of Wight as another island of a similar proportion okay it's a a bit bigger but relatively it's still a small spot and you know you know they've managed to produce you know a whole series of first class cricketers over the last 10-15 years and and whilst Jersey are doing well, they're, you know, they're not comparisons you want to make in a way that they should make us feel bad, but they're good opportunities to learn at Well, what is going on in the Isle of Wight? They get oh nowhere near the level of funding we get. However, access to competition is a hell of a lot easier in the fact that Ventnor play in the Southern League. They've got their on-island on league. The county youth players are easily... It's cheap for them to go and access county cricket if they're part of age group squads. You know, So it's, it's understanding, well, what, what what ingredients have the Isle of Wight got? What is it Jersey have been doing well? What have we been doing well as a point of reflection and, and, and for us to learn from? So for me, the Isle of Wight is, is a bit of a classic real learning opportunity to say, well, you know, there's an island that's produced, you know, almost 15, 20 guys that have been in and around first class cricket. They've had coaches, you know, Mark Garraway, who captain me and second team cricket has been part of the England coaching setup. all these people have come through the Isle of Wight what what do they do Um, so for me very simply one of the explanations is they've got access to regular sort of competition on a consistent level at not very high cost the challenge is how do we really do that in Guernsey knowing that getting off Ireland is expensive so that's something we've got to keep playing around in our heads but from personal point of view of what i've seen is the players that go and stick in not just cricket but in a number of sports the one that get the opportunity but also have the support um and everything that goes with that because it's not just the cricket and the cricket environment it's moving leaving the island living away from home do they go to a place they feel well supported you know do they have other interests outside of cricket that they're able to then pursue within that environment so um yeah, absolutely. Making sure our young people are supported and robust enough to be able to, if they do get the opportunity, are good enough to take that and sustain it is yeah, is a is a really important thing.
0: And Frithi, I know you've got you know connections to Hampshire, um, kind of going back a few years. Is, is that something you'll look to exploit? Um, I think again, making sure there's a pathway for for
4: for not just for our players, but those people working in and around cricket also for people to go and watch and enjoy cricket and people to feel to come here is really, really really important do do we do we need to be tied to one individual place i don't think that's necessarily healthy um, particularly from a player's point of view because part of what we, we're we creating for our players is really a shop window um, and you want people to be able to access that and and obviously one one organization having a stranglehold and that isn't particularly healthy however i think being linking in with a first class county and indeed minor counties cricket is actually a real opportunity to be able to whether it's pushing individual senior players on to make sure they're stretched and tested beyond there if they want to be but also those access to pathways in terms of benchmarking where our players are and just the whole networking thing we are an isolated little rock a bit of a trek away from you know the mainland which which can be a strength, but also you know we need those off-iron links and 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 that reflection point um, uh, pretty regularly from my point of view. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, it's probably important to emphasise this, like you say, it's, it's not just like the, the senior men's side of things. Your director of cricket role mm. will include pathways for, for the girls as well. Cause, I mean, we've got a couple of um, very talented young girls coming up as well. So we could, could be seeing them following the mayor route yeah. in cricket.
4: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, participation, if you like, if you think about it, is the tide that raises all ships. So my time will largely be focused on the men's... Um, senior squad. However, my focus is evenly distributed across that whole cricket mm. pathway. So, with the women's and girls, it will be working with Lee Forshaw, who's who's the head coach, Hannah, who's the development officer, to look at that planning, and and where they are with with various bits. Again, same principles, making sure they've got a fixture list, you know, that reflects the type of cricket that they need to play, that that meets, meets the ma- motivation and. Um, time commitments of the current group of players um, but it all fits into that overall picture of of provision really Um, but you know the opportunities within women's sport and women's cricket have have grown exponentially over a period of time as they needed to Um, there's still a way to go with that Um, but absolutely my focus is across women's cricket supporting the development pathway and, and obviously time commitment with the men.
0: And I know you obviously said at the start that you sort of want actions to speak louder than words. Mm. Um, but in terms of sort of domestic cricket and, and what it looks like next summer, will you have much of an input in that? I mean, uh, what's on the horizon?
4: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've had some. We've had some initial conversations. I don't see it being massively different. I mean, you've got a decent domestic competition in the first half of the year. Um, we're looking at one or two little uh, ideas that that would help prepare us for a couple of key points in the season Um, and then obviously I think that there's, there's talk of some sort of Channel Island competition in the second half of the year my bit is to punctuate that with all the representative cricket so the domestic cricket I think goes along quite nicely again it's for more than the island squad it's for the vast majority of players and it's important that the vast majority of players and the clubs get the domestic cricket right for the diet they want um whilst it balances out and fits alongside what the uh,
0: representative teams are going to do as well. I suppose whatever you do, you know, there's going to be one or two dates in the diary which will stand mm. out, and you know that that everyone will judge on those are the games mm. against Jersey. I mean, obviously, you enjoyed a fair bit of success in those matches as a player. How much would it mean? as as head coach to to land a victory a long-awaited victory over the rivals
4: yeah I mean look it would be pretty naive to sit here and say that for every person who's probably going to listen to this and for probably the 62,000 people that aren't going to listen that beating Jersey is not important of course it's important you know I think from a with my professional director of cricket hat on I see them as a, a a similar sized jurisdiction that are performing very well um that we've been ahead of at different points in time we're probably in a position where there's a lot we can learn from them at at the moment so i'm pretty keen to see that as some sort of benchmarking exercise um, to kind of see where we are you know where are the bits the gaps for us in terms of stuff we've got to do to go forward what are the things that they've done really well that we can learn from um and yes, we want to beat the crap out.
1: Yeah, it's actually quite um, it's 20 years I think to the year where you were sweeping Tony Carlyon one way then the other in a, in a very famous intrinsula victory in 2002 when um when after 10 years of un- unsuccessful times for Guernsey we beat them. Yeah, and so it'd be it'd be nice to get back to that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean I I'm, remember I'm playing my first intrinsula at the KG5, walked out, got nor
4: walked off and I think I've got sledged all the way out sledged all the way <laughs> off and probably a few people on the side were thinking who's this bloke and where's he come from and I kind of my lasting reflection is I don't really want that to happen again yeah. <laughs> um, but it doesn't take you long when you come from the outside of outside the island to kind of work out what beating Jersey Jersey means and, and likewise for, for Jersey people beating Guernsey cause, because it's a no, known historic equivalent matchup up um, that we need to be in and around competing winning you know our fair share of doing that and 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 probably for point for for people the fact we haven't done that over a period of time is something that either says jersey have done something absolutely amazing or maybe we haven't got one or two things right and and i think if that's probably fair so of course beating and competing with jersey is really important because it's a known benchmark Mm. as it will be when we go go up against county age group sides um, uh, from a performance point of view there because they're known entities they've been consistent over 25 30 years and we can see how we're doing not to the point we get all cross and frustrated about about it it's more for us to look at it
1: dispassionately and say what's working what's not what do we need to do May I predict that your first team talk ahead of an entrance level will be play the game, not the occasion? W- <laughs> well, that may be Josh's team. Um, but no. I mean, those are, those are the things that, you know,
4: we, we, we're we working out and, and having those conversations as a little group about who's doing what. From, as I've said to Josh, and I don't mind sort of saying to everyone else, our job is to work with him to see what he wants to do and where his strengths are. And then our job is to support and fill in the gaps, really. So I'm very keen that, Probably it's not me doing all the team talks
0: and everything. If Josh is going to do that, that's fine. So, and just finally, I mean, you mentioned obviously before about having a full-time job with the sports commission and the amount of time you're going to be able to give to this. I mean, do you see this as a sort of one, two, three, five, ten-year kind of journey you're embarking on? Or yeah, I mean, I suppose yeah, one, three, and five, and ten.
4: <laughs> I'll give you a few options there.
0: Yeah.
4: I mean, year one, it is literally getting a cricket program together that stands up is robust it doesn't break the bank i hope that's heard me here hear <laughs> um yeah we've got a robust cricket plan that stands up you know we get the, the volume of cricket played that we need to that we can then at the end of this this time next year we can be going right this is what we need to do um and then within that sort of three-year plan it's obviously getting out of european div two improving the global ranking um and 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 getting those players on on, onto pathways five you know you're looking at really trying to certainly the age groups you know we're getting players into age group county squads you know and, and and we're competing i mean the fixtures we're put trying to put in place are the fixtures that i imagine are going to be a stretch this year there's going to be a bit of a gear change in terms of some of the cricket um That will be a period of adjustment but certainly in five years time the the games we're going to be playing i'd expect us to be competing winning losing our fair share in equal measure really because that's that's where we need to be and where the island can be i think i mean i think we can be ambitious and we can be bold but we also got to be realistic in terms of saying we're not going to get there um overnight but we're not going to get there without playing good quality cricket that does
0: stretch and challenge us well we'll be following that journey very closely and I'm, I'm sure, sure you will <laughs> <laughs> exactly. and I'm sure um, everyone in Guernsey Cricket wishes you all the best. so uh, yeah, uh, thanks for coming in and um, we'll catch you soon. Yeah, Cheers Rossi. Jeremy Frith speaking to us there, Gareth, um as I said uh, in the intro, uh, there's been a lot of flux in Guernsey cricket in the last few years, particularly in the sort of coaching setup. Um, do you think Frithy's the, the the person to kind of bring a bit of stability and a bit of kind of long-term direction to this role?
1: Well, yeah, for sure. It certainly helps having sort of someone based on Ireland to do that job. I mean, it was, it was unfortunate that um, the, the sort of the national squad were going to head in a direction and then the pandemic hit and uh, unfortunately it, it sort of scuppered a lot of plans there. Um, and yeah, like you say, Tony, we've been going through a bit of a, a difficult period over the last two or three years, largely because of the pandemic and just not being quite sure what's going to be sort of next on our agenda. Um, but yeah, Frithi. Obviously, we dubbed him Mister Cricket. I think probably best part of twenty years ago because um, he knows the game inside out. He, he loves the game, um, as as he says. If you, if you want to talk cricket, he's there. He's there, and he'll. Um, Talk, you can probably talk your ear off about cricket if you <laughs> want to, but um, I think it, I think he, he, as he alluded to, it it probably helps that he goes in with a relatively fresh pair of eyes. He hasn't really been on the local cricket scene much in the last couple of years. Um, he's he's still obviously in contact with, he was sort of teammates with Ben Furbrush, who's our development manager, and um, he knows a lot of the guys of that sort of ilk. Um, but he's he's going to go and see a lot of the younger uh, uh, guys with um, with fresh eyes, and I think it's it's probably um, It's it's almost like a no-brainer to be honest. I mean, Frithy's the highest. He's got the highest coaching qualification you can get at level four of the ECB. He knows local cricket. He also knows. English cricket. He's, he's obviously from England, and he's he's played a lot for his club over there in recent years as well. And um, he's obviously knows the international stage very well, having sort of um, been part of a very successful or being the star probably of a very successful Guernsey side back in um, sort of like a, a decade ago now, I suppose you'd call it. Um, but yeah. Um, in terms of what Guernsey need right now, I think he is um he pretty much fits the bill down to a T really. Well we'll look
0: forward to seeing how he gets on for sure. Um right, let's have a quick look ahead to what else is coming up over the
3: next week or so. Jamie, where are you gonna be? <laughs> I'm gonna be down that Lancrest Common for the start of the FMB cross country series, uh both as competitor and as reporter. Feeling in good shape? <laughs> um Shape-wise I'm quite happy uh, weather-wise <laughs> it's it's not looking overly <laughs> positive. I mean, I'm committed to doing it whatever for weather is, but, uh, but I'm not feeling hugely inspired, but it may change on the day. <laughs> <laughs> Fair weather runner. Well, you've got to write the report, so no, yeah. no crying off. He, well, and he's got to interview
1: the winner, so I'm hoping he wins, and in, I'd love to see that interview. Yeah, I don't
0: <laughs> think that's happening. <laughs> uh, Gareth, what are you up to this weekend?
1: Um, I've actually got, I'm on GFC duty this weekend. They're back in action after a week off. They're playing at home to Westfield, but it's going to be a very busy day at Foots Lane on, on Saturday. We've got that on the, the Garen Sand pitch so um, Jack's Vikings are playing on the on the rugby club pitch um, against Isle of Wight, which is a, a bit of a top of the table clash in counties 3 Hampshire and there's also a, a very busy day of um, hockey with I think four games and they're all four very good games two in the women's division and two in the men's so um, yeah I'll, I'll be at Foots Lane watching probably several different things at once probably. Starting around well uh, yeah it's
0: going to be a, a cracking afternoon uh, down there I think we'll leave it there we'll be back on Monday with a football podcast reaction to Mayor uh first senior england call-up and we'll be back next thursday of course as well looking at what else is going on in ireland sport um, if you're not already give us a follow on social media at gsy press sport um, on facebook twitter and instagram that's the place to go and pick up a paper six days a week for the very best local sports coverage um, thanks guys we'll see you soon cheers tony
3: cheers tony